Hello and welcome to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. I'm Beth Shank, long-term host of the podcast, though right now we are recording a series highlighting fellows in the Environmental Health Research Institute for Nurse and Clinician Scientists, and they are interviewed by Dr. Heidi Honiger-Rogers and Dr. Heidi Segan. Today, they interview Dr. Anne-Marie Walton and Dr. Valerie Sable, faculty at Duke University. Enjoy. and welcome to the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. My name is Heidi Segan, and I am joined by my co-host and wonderful person, Heidi Honiger-Rogers. We are so fortunate today that we are joined by two guests. We have Anne-Marie Walton and Valerie Sable from Duke University. So we are going to hear about the awesome work that they are doing related to environmental health and climate change. So let's start out with just introductions. So Anne-Marie, can you um, introduce yourself and tell us about your journey into environmental health nursing? What got you working in this specialty area? It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, I'm Anne-Marie Walton. I'm an associate professor at the Duke University School of Nursing, and my program of research really focuses on understanding and minimizing occupational and environmental exposures to known carcinogens. I'm an oncology nurse, so um, I study predominantly chemotherapy exposure for healthcare workers and also pesticide exposure for farm workers. I will share that um, it's through teaching a population health course that needed some, in my opinion, needed some additional content in climate change that I really um, started to come over into this area of climate change education. So I would say that my program of research has links to environmental health, but climate change came really through my teaching. And hi, I'm Valerie Sable, and I'm a clinical professor at Duke University School of Nursing. I'm an acute care nurse practitioner and geriatric nurse practitioner as well, and work within the Duke Health System on the diabetes consultation service. And the thing that I uh, noticed uh, while caring for individuals and families is that the weather was impacting their ability to care for themselves. Extreme weather, for example, was uh, impacting their ability uh, to maintain their insulin um, at, at the temperatures that they needed to be effective. And um, that started trickling into some of the teaching that I um, currently do at the school. I have an elective course where I talk about obesity management and was to was really important for me to make sure that that information got transferred into our future providers and what they were learning. And so as I uh, did this, I became more and more interested in climate change and how it really does influence everything that we do. And we as nurses have always cared about the environment. We may not have necessarily called it climate change, but it was important for me to make sure that we were thinking about those things. And that's when I started meeting wonderful colleagues like Dr. Walton, where we were looking about how do we think about this? How do we help other people know the importance and infuse this not only in our curriculum, but in our scholarship and research? Y'all, this is so exciting to um, get a chance to interview you, thinking about um, how you are facilitating the the knowledge and leadership development for the next generation of nurses and also interdisciplinary health professionals at Duke University. Anne-Marie, can you talk a little bit about the course you all are working on and sort of how you are seeing this unfold, how we, how we, how we educate this, this next generation of health professionals? Absolutely. Let me start by giving you a little bit of history on how this course came to be, because it is still in its pilot um, version. So I'll, I'll take you back. As I mentioned, um, 
I was the course facilitator for a course called Population Health in a Global Society. And my intention was just to infuse some climate change content into that course. Not being an expert in climate change myself at all, I went to the Nurses Climate Challenge website to get some materials for use in my course. And over the series of about a year's worth of time, um, negotiated a, a formal partnership between the Duke University School of Nursing and the Nurses Climate Challenge. Once my friends and colleagues across the campus started to hear that I was teaching about climate change in a nursing course, I got contacted to do some additional lectures. So I started to lecture in the first year med school curriculum in their environmental health and climate change thread. I started to lecture in the health system for Earth Day about climate change and sustainability. And then Dr. Sable invited me to um, do a lecture in the moral movements in medicine course, which is an interdisciplinary um, course offered I think it sits technically in the School of Medicine, um, but intended to bring interprofessional health educational students together. And so once I um, kind of came out of nursing a little bit and said, oh yes, here I am, and this is what I'm teaching to nursing, I found friends across the campus that were also interested in teaching this content to their learners um, and who were eager to work together. So. When Duke Ahead, which is our interprofessional health education office, announced this small funding opportunity for pilot grants um, and projects that were innovative and would transform the educational experience of learners, specifically in addressing climate change as for health professionals, we I knew who to go to to help answer that call. And I'm happy to tell you more about the course, but I just want to see if Val wants to add anything about our history and how we got here. Yeah, Anne-Marie. So that was that's was a great summary. And um, you know, it's so funny. We're we do so many um things where we really just kept bumping into each other. I mean, the moral movements class, and it really was the health as an ecosystem subsection that when you came to talk, it really um, got us talking about the fact that we are very passionate about this um, and we know that nurses play an integral role, right? We're front and center and we're right there poised um, to make a difference as we always have and we're a trusted profession. And so that's really where we sat and had that wonderful brainstorming opportunity, um, you know, because um, I know I didn't learn this in school. I didn't learn it, um, but we needed, we have a moral responsibility to make sure that the next generation does. And so the whole concept of train the trainer kept resonating uh, with me through all of these um, sort of, as we bumped into each other, how can we do this, do this together? And um, that's when we thought, you know, well, nursing, we could lead this, but it really needs to be an interprofessional effort. So I think that's where the brainstorming started. And we still continue to have exciting conversations weekly where we meet and talk about this course as it's evolving. And so I think that's the fun part is knowing that there are so many people who are engaged um, and have so many different points of view and perspectives. I think that's what makes it an exciting class. It really is truly an interprofessional effort. So great history. And I'm just reminded of all those opportunities that really brought us uh, to that point. It was meant to be. I, I'm happy to sh share more if you want about the course itself, but I thought it was important that you heard a little bit about how we got to be and how we came together. So um, once that Duke Ahead request for proposals came out, um, Val and I talked and, and thought, okay, well, nursing needs to lead this, but it's really important to us that it's founded in climate science. Um, I have an affiliation with the Nicholas School of the Environment and their Integrated Toxicology and Environmental Health Program because of the research that I do. And so we immediately looked for a partner in the Nicholas School of the Environment who would do sort of the heavier, not traditionally in the nursing space, climate science teaching in the course. And so um, we had Dr. Brian McAdoo join us to do that. Um, 
Then we had friends who were physicians and PAs that were doing work in this space. One of them had started John Lonis, who you had a chance to meet, Heidi, um, is doing sustainability work throughout the healthcare system and started a program called Remedy, which repurposes surplus medical supplies and, and started that over 20 years ago. So we knew John, we knew Jen Lawson, who's a physician, pe pediatrician. Um, and so we included our friends. And once we started to brainstorm with our friends, we said, oh, well, how about so-and-so over in the PT program? She's great. Or what about so-and-so over in the OT program? She's fantastic. Um, and so we walked away from the first couple of meetings saying each, each one bring one, right? If you have a friend that would be perfect to work with us, bring them. And so we ended up with a core group of 10 faculty putting in one little um, pilot grant application for $10,000. And as it works in grant land, um, we got our grant with a request to scale back to $8,500. Um, so we so birthed our pilot. Um, and what we did was we spent, we found out that we were getting our funding, I guess, in the late spring, early summer, and we spent the summer developing this course. So the course itself has seven modules, each of which take a month to go through. Modules two and three, which are the climate science modules, um, the students have two months to complete and they go together. And those are the ones that are led um, by Dr. McAdoo and the Nicholas School faculty. Um, but uh, they are all asynchronous modules. Students work on these on their own time. And then we have three opportunities to get together. The first, and they're all optional. We recognize that we're working with students from a variety of disciplines with you know, lots of clinical responsibilities. So we have them join us if they're able for a climate fresque, um, which I'm happy to tell you more about later, but um, it's an opportunity to learn about the basis of climate change. We have them join us in the spring for a service learning and community engagement activity, which will be planting trees in Durham in March. Um, and then we also have them doing a morning with us with Remedy, which is the program that John began, um, and an opportunity to really dig deep on healthcare sustainability while we work and do some talking together as a group while we're active. Um, so we also offer office hours every month, and they are led by design by faculty from two different disciplines so that students see us talking with one another about these issues that we're um, reading about and learning about in class. I could talk more about some of the other fun um, medium that we use to, to work with our learners, but um, I feel like I've said enough. So Val, let me have you add about the course. Yeah, it's um, it really is a pretty exciting course, and I I feel that um, your comment about it being a pilot grant, it it really is as we said, it's a coalition of the willing. Uh, people really are very um, passionate about this, and I think that's that's important. And you know, as a school, we've talked about that um, it's it's great to get started, but you know, we do need to think about long term and sustainability and scale. And so um, those are sort of the next steps in the class. But I think that, you know, um, reviewing the course and all of the amazing sort of uh, just points of view from all the different perspectives, it's really giving um, the learner and even us as faculty opportunity to learn about what each other does, what our science is about, um, how it applies to them in clinical practice. I know the module that I'm working on um, with Dr. Jennifer Lawson is about um, climate informed care. You know, how do we help um, individuals, families, and communities um, know about climate change and how they can engage in ways um, that helps them um, be as healthy as they can be in an in a environment that is changing. So it's just wonderful to be working with other professions just to understand their perspective and how they approach things. And I think that uh, faculty, uh, I think we're, we benefit just as much because the students themselves, the learners, they also often come with um, different experiences, which has been very enriching for us and really informing our course. 
and how we should move forward. I mean, it is one of those that it's it's always going to evolve, of course, but it's just such an amazing group of individuals who are very passionate all around. So it's an exciting course. And I think, Amory, you could probably talk about next steps. Um, but right now we're we are really trying to, you know, navigate and really be responsive uh, to the students because again, they all have a very different schedule. But I've been super impressed with their level of engagement um, in the course. And they do as much as they can. Um, and it's just wonderful how they've reached out and made just even recommendations or other references to share. I think it's just been a fabulous fun experience. I mean, of all the courses, I think this is the most fun that I've had um, this semester. So thank you both so much for your explanation of your course. As a as a fellow nurse educator, I have so many questions that I want to ask. Um, and, you know, working in nursing education, sometimes we come up against obstacles, right? Um, whether that's curriculum, whether it's buy-in, there's a number but you have all over overcome these obstacles. And one thing I heard you say is that, you know, you don't have to be an expert to start to incorporate this into your courses. And that's something that, um, you know, I, I hear a lot from faculty that they're really nervous. I don't, I'm not an expert. I didn't learn this in school, right? As you said, you didn't learn this, neither did I. And so how am I supposed to teach it? Um, and you mentioned all the partnerships you had. So it seems to me that those partnerships were really instrumental in maybe getting over that obstacle of not being experts. Um, but can you talk to me a little bit more about um, how those partnerships helped facilitate the success of your project and what else helped facilitate the success of your project? Sure, I'm, I'm happy to start. Um, so I think um, a few, we've been very fortunate. Let me tell you, I, there's something that I should probably clarify, um, which is that this course is not for credit. Um, this is, since it's in its pilot, we are just trialing it and we are actually paying folks $100 to give us feedback on our course so that we can make it better for the future. Um, so this is very much a pilot. But what we didn't share with you is that we had intended to open this for 12 learners with our $8,500 because we wanted to be able to give a small remuneration to the community groups that helped us, to the faculty that were coming in and lecturing in our course who were outside of the 10 of us. And we were overwhelmed when we got responses from 40 learners that wanted to be in this course and we had room for 12. So we went back to our funder and we actually went to um, the head of the climate commitment for the university and asked if we could have additional support so that we didn't have to turn anyone away. So that's step number one in you know what supported us. It's having a university commitment to teach about climate, to um, create solutions around climate and to having the buy-in of our leadership and administration. I think that's really, really key. So when we went back and we asked for $2,500 more to do what we initially proposed to do, we were granted that and we were able to welcome everyone in. At this time, three months into the course, we have 29 um, student learners and one faculty learner. So we've had some attrition um, as the course has, you know, the semester has gotten busier and people know that this is an, a non-credit course, but we did have 40 folks interested and 30 actively engaged as of today. So I will say one facilitator, sorry, I'm giving you information and answering your question at the same time. One facilitator is certainly ha having the support of the university administration behind climate and climate change. Um, another big support that we've had or, or a benefit or a facilitator um, is really just how cool the individual people are. Like we really like each other. We um, met at a farm after work one day and had some wine and cheese and just got to know each other as people. And now I find that we're inviting each other into other spaces and that our networks individually and collectively are really growing. Um, Heidi, as, as she mentioned earlier, came and visited with our group and John's had an opportunity to collaborate with Heidi. And I think um, 
Heidi, it's something that you said when you visited us that in order to teach this, we sort of have to be revolutionary about it. This isn't about keeping things to ourselves or working in silos. It's really about sharing across disciplines and across institutions. Um, and since this work, this is maybe a barrier, but since this work doesn't have a lot of funding behind it and we're not getting course credit for teaching, it's really important that it's something that is meaningful to us and is personally fulfilling and that we're working towards something that we care about and with people that we care about. And so all of that, I would see as a facilitator, just that these are really good people doing the work and also that everyone is willing to share and to work in perhaps a non-traditionally academic way um, and, and be collaborative in, in, in sort of a different capacity. So those are two um, benefits that I would say are facilitators to our work, the university support, and then just the cool people that are doing the work. Yeah, and, and I will add to that, Emory. I mean, everyone really is cool and fun to work with, and we're all doing it quite honestly. It's a personal passion. I will say that um, I feel like an individual who's perhaps newest to the material when I think about the expertise among the group. So I've done a lot of, uh, to answer your question, Heidi, I've done a lot of intentional uh, repurposing and retooling of myself um, to uh, pivot and really try to learn as much as I can through various resources. And it is it is interesting. It can be a little overwhelming when it's and when it's new. I think the topic itself can be overwhelming um, uh, because it's it's a it's a pretty it impacts all of us. So it's overwhelming just as it is. Just and then trying to learn about it and then try to figure out how you're going to teach it. But the other thing that was interesting is that all of my colleagues have so many different resources at the ready that almost every day I do have to spend several minutes uh, looking through the emails and, oh, here's another website or here's another thing. Amory will send me another opportunity um, or I'll get an email from Jen Lawson or John. And it's it's almost to the point where now I've I said, now I need to pause and I need to create some electronic files and I have to label the files and I have to put them in the right place because I was even sort of laughing. I'm like, where did I, where, where did I save it? Um, because this is now things that I realize I'm now using repeatedly in, in different venues. And so just like any course and any topic that I've taught in the past, I have to get organized and really be thoughtful about how I'm um, approaching that material because, you know, there will be people that I will engage with that this will all be new. And I have to think about how will I train the trainer, if you will, and I have to be organized in my approach. But it's been, um, I'm a little spoiled in the fact that I have so many people who have so many great resources. It's probably a good problem to have to try to sit there and figure out how to organize it all. I mean, a lot of amazing sites, a lot of amazing experts and people were really quite, we're really quite lucky to have so many people, but it's, it's just, how do I figure that all out? And how do I, how do I put it together in a meaningful way for different people with different skill levels? And that's really honestly like any other course. Um, but the nice thing is it's, it's really a fun thing to do because the people you work with are fun and we all have that same vested interest. I'll add one tiny little shout out um, on top of what Val just described about getting so much information. Our partner, Denise Nepvo, who is from the OT um, department, decided to suggest a climate, a weekly climate communique um, for our course. And so now um, we take turns collating some of this awesome stuff into a climate communique, but then it's a nice repository for everyone who took our course to be able to go back and look week by week at what the resources were. Um, and it's also a way for us to bring in some of what we talked with Heidi about with the Active Hope Framework and art and poetry, because that's also, there's a beautiful banner that um, Trisha Dalapati, the, the med student on our team and Denise together um, created. And then they also bring in art or poetry each week um, as part of the climate communique. And so um, it's this opportunity for us to exercise a different 
part of ourselves and to give time to that every week and to give space to that um, and for our students to feel like that kind of engagement is normal um, and to normalize that kind of thinking and that kind of feeling. And so um, that's been a, a fun part of this process too. Yeah, Anne-Marie and Valerie, thank you so much for sharing about how the class is working and how your community is building. And it is it is true. We we chatted about this at our um, when we were together at the Environmental Health Research Institute this summer. And, you know, all four of us actually are all interprofessional educators around planetary health and climate change. And one of the conversations when I had the opportunity to to come and meet your, your amazing interdisciplinary team is how do we love and hold the, the mental health of the, of, of ourselves, right. When we're, when we're working in this material and also, um, and, and importantly with our students. And so we had talked about Joanna Macy's work and the work that reconnects using the spiral journey um, we'll put resources for the podcast here, um, you know, and and really thinking about using the book Active Hope by Chris Johnstone and Joanna Macy as a guide for how we can move into this work, and how do we how do we appreciate and have gratitude for for the things that are important to us right now in the world? How do we grieve together? Um, how do we honor that grief? How do we shift perspectives, see with new eyes? And then how do we move into a place of active hope where, where we see the future that we want to be in and we start walking into that? We start embodying that, um, that idea of really being active in, in co-creating a future that we can all that we can all flourish in. So, um, so thank you for the call in to the conversations that we've had around that. Yeah, and I will, I will also say that the what you've just spoken about the spiral that reconnects and Joanna Macy and all of her work that's actually in one of our modules, the module that Dr. Lawson and I are working on right now, and one of the important pieces of that is, um, I'm not sure if we've mentioned this, but we also, even though the course is asynchronous, we have also office hours uh, where we have opportunity to engage with students um, in real time. And one of the exercises uh, that we thought was important to do, we, we um, integrated cases, right, into our, um, our recorded presentation, we, we integrated cases because we know that's a helpful approach. Um, but we said to them, here's an opportunity um, to think more deeply about maybe a case or a situation that you've seen and you can meet with us at office hours, but also an opportunity to think about um, how do we reconnect and how, you know, how can you as a future provider uh, think about resilience and looking at things in uh, with new eyes and and to sort of um just be in a in a place that um is helpful um and not overwhelming and so we we wanted to sort of have that office hours time uh for students to have the option what, what would you like to do and really they are all connected but it was an opportunity to engage with students one-on-one -on -one. so that is that is that will happen soon um, so I'm, I'll be excited to see what what transpires in that particular meeting. And um, I, I do know that students really do appreciate that one-on-one -on -one time. So we're looking forward to that. And that leads to a question that I've been thinking about. So the four of us are obviously very passionate about interprofessional education, making sure that nurses and other healthcare professionals are um, prepared to be leaders and be change agents in this field. So I'm curious, though, what are the students saying? How do they receive the information? Are they excited about it? They're happy you're talking about it. Um, what are you hearing from your students? That's a great question. So um, I will share that we are using the chant survey um, that you're probably familiar with. 
um, that Dr. Beth Shank developed with her team. And we are measuring at the very beginning of the course kind of where students are with regard to what they know, their intention to change behavior, um, their attitudes, those kinds of things. And we're going to measure these again at the end of the course. So we will have some um, measurable change over the course of the semester that, or over the course of the eight month course um, that we don't have now. Um, but I think that we've heard a little bit from students through the discussion forums, through the conversations at the live fresk, that they are really a excited to be engaging. And we had them write a, a short blurb about why they wanted to come into the course. And it was, I really want to know how to do this better myself. I want to understand this so I can do better myself. I want to understand what my role is as a fill in the blank, a PT, an OT, a pharmacist, a nurse um, in making this better. And I want to understand the science. I don't have a lot of time or exposure to the to climate science. And so people kind of let us know coming in um, that they brought. And again, they're doing this for no credit for a hundred bucks um, and doing quite a bit of work. So they're telling us we're, we're hungry, we're thirsty for this content. Um, and we like the opportunity to work together and to learn together. I'll mention one little story, which is that, um, well, I could tell you a couple of stories, but the one that I'm going to tell you is about as you start to do this work and you meet even more people. So I was at an event um, where someone from the physical therapy department who isn't in our course came up to me and said, oh, I heard about your climate change course. And um, something that's really a burning question for me is what, why don't we recycle gloves in our programs when we're in our sim labs and when we're in, you know, all these other places in education, why don't we recycle gloves? And so while that's not a focus of our course at all, I mentioned it on the discussion forum that week and two students were like, I want to help. How can I help? I want to recite. I want to have glove recycling in my department. Um, what do we need to do? Who do we need to contact? And so with their engaged watching eyes, we're not going to let it go. So we're asking these questions, you know, how do we recycle? What does it take to recycle? What's the commitment of the university? What would each de department have to pay? And our hope is as a little side, that as a little side project to this course, we will be able to at the end of it say, oh, and now we have glove recycling in all of our educational programs. Um, and this was the work and the desire in part of these students. And so I think that little story is illustrative of the fact that they are eager and wanting to engage with us. Um, and I'm hopeful that we can bring that to fruition. The other little piece that I'll add as a sort of spinoff story, again, once you start doing this work, it brings you to other places and other people. And so um, there is a small team in nursing that wanted to write a paper for uh, JAMA Health Forum about teens and um, climate change anxiety. And so they asked me to write sort of the climate change piece. And I thought, again, okay, I'm not an expert, but I'm going to lean into this and say yes and do a lot of reading. And one of the most impactful things that I read is how important it, in preparing to help write this is how important it is for us to not pathologize compassion. And I think that's critical for healthcare providers of all types. If you are sad about this, if you are grieving about this, that means you're compassionate and that's okay. If this doesn't need a, a DSM diagnosis, you're compassionate. Um, and that's a great thing to be. And so we talked about that when we were together for the fresk, as people were saying, I feel overwhelmed or I feel stuck, or I'm not sure what I'm going to do. That's going to make a difference. Or I, I, I am not sure that this one little thing that I can do really matters. And I, I feel overwhelmed or powerless that that's okay. It, that's compassion and that's okay. Um, and so just normalizing, being with people to normalize these emotions, I think is also a, a critical piece of the work. Yeah, and I guess I guess I'll just add to that, Amory, is that um, you know, we're we're focused in on this class, right? You know, right now as we're talking about it, but I'm struck by the fact that comments and observations like the reusing gloves, recycling of gloves. Um, that really could be recycled um, has really bled into other areas of our school. And I've noticed an uptick 
in the number of our DNP students who are looking to do quality improvement projects that are related to sustainability efforts. So we have a lot of nurses who work in various healthcare settings who are looking um, ways um, to influence their own work environment um, in meaningful ways, uh, measurable, meaningful quality improvement ways. And so I think that for us, um, this really sort of stems from all of this work, but it's definitely infiltrating into other areas. And I think that's important for momentum and sustainability for sure. Brilliant. Thank you. One of the um, things that I love about your course is this idea of doing a service learning uh, component. So just how did, how did you figure that out? And what role do you think having the students really be able to go out into the community just to, you know, plant trees, um, which is such a beautiful activity for, for health profession students to be able to go do, right? Um, so can you, can you two talk about service learning and a little bit about what you would see? I know you're in the pilot, but um, what, what do you see in the future? around that sort of community engagement in this in this domain for for classes and coursework like this. Okay, I'm happy to start. Um, and Val will do a good job of filling in anything I miss, I'm sure. So um, what we envision, so we community, well, let me let me back up. I think disparities um, that are health disparities that are caused by um, climate change issues that are more affecting some groups than others is a thread that runs through the entire course. And so in a module that is really centered on communities and um, communities who are experiencing more adverse climate change effects than others, that's where we decided to park this opportunity for um, community engagement in our local community here in Durham. But this could be done anywhere. And I will be honest, um, it was hard. The OTs that are OT and PT that are leading that um, module had a really hard time coming up with just one. There were so many amazing organizations here in Durham doing such good work, um, root causes, just so many great ones that we had a hard time. We wanted to give students the opportunity to choose from a, a menu of options. And then we realized this is really as a pilot, just a ton to coordinate and we need to put out one thing for this year. Um, so the idea is for the students to actually see um, some of the ways that climate adver climate change adversely affects some groups more than others locally and eventually hopefully globally too. Dr. McAdoo does a lot of his work internationally um, and talked about the possibility of if this course you know is sustainable in the future, bringing students to do some international, uh, field opportunities as well. So this is really just a drop in the bucket of what's possible, but it's the idea that students will have an experiential touch point um, with a community and start to think about some of some of those concepts. I will say, um, and I'm sure that Val will fill in more about that, but I'll just take the, your next question a little bit as well, which is how do we see this moving forward? So um, a member of our team, again, we are 10 people doing a variety of things. A member of our team put our course in to Duke Learning Innovations um, to compete for a course that would be turned into a Coursera course. Um, and so the Duke Learning um, Innovations team received 27 applications and our application ranked in the top three. They then decided to combine two into one and we are the other. So we're currently um, designing this course to be made into a four module, completely online, open access course that people can um, be part of globally. Um, and the fee for that would be free for all Duke learners. And it would be 
um, variable based on the IP address of the user so that those who are in low and middle income countries can access the course at very low cost. Um, and the course would be free unless you want a digital badge and then there would be a charge. So um, again, that would be variable. But the idea is that we would take this asynchronous content and make it available to more people. But at the same time, what we as faculty would offer the Duke community if we were to continue to make this sustainable would be exactly those experiential menu of opportunities. So you do the asynchronous distance-based kind of you know online didactic learning, and then you come into community to engage with us around conversation, to do a fresque, to be part of community engagement and service learning opportunities, to see what remedy is and what we need to do about um, healthcare sustainability. And that's what would really be unique about taking the course here at Duke with us as faculty convening it. So the idea is that in the future, the work that we've done becomes part of a standing um, asynchronous didactic opportunity for multiples. And then we offer something that's kind of super special and meaningful for those that are here in our local community. I think you covered that extremely well, Anne-Marie. I will reiterate, there were so many opportunities. Imagine if you can, that many uh, professors all trying to decide on you know, the top couple opportunities was a bit of a challenge, but yet it was yet another opportunity for me to organize all the potential opportunities that could be used in other ways uh, in other courses. Um, and so that was that was helpful, just sort of the opening and recognition of opening your eyes and recognizing what's around you that it's right there in your own backyard um, of other creative ways to incorporate what we're doing in this course into other courses. And the particular thing that I like about the next steps about Coursera is I've always had this mentality of train the trainer, but I also think it's important um, to think about our alum who have already graduated and our licensed providers. And so um, I think this would be a really great opportunity for those folks uh, to engage in this way, because I think as Anne-Marie has already said that people really are looking for opportunities and how they can get engaged in this in this area. And this would be a perfect opportunity for them and they would still be within their local community. So I think that's the exciting next step part. Along those lines, we also think it could be used within health systems um, as a an asynchronous learning opportunity, much like you know the required LMS modules, this would be available to practicing clinical nurses who wanted to to have some more knowledge in this space. That is terrific. Thank you. Um, I I wanted to just, you know, we had we have been with these podcasts, we've been talking about our seed stories. What are the stories that actually inform who we are and what the work is that we're doing in environmental health and and here specifically in education. And I just wanted to ask if you, Anne-Marie, if you could share a little bit of the story that you have around getting to the place where you are now in your work and your career. Sure, I guess, um, you know, I'm thinking about a particular person and I think that's how it starts for most of us, right? That there's somebody that inspires us in this in this way. And um, it's gonna be hard for me to talk about her without getting emotional. She's a, a, become a good friend of mine and just lost her husband. Um, but I had a public health nursing faculty member when I was a second degree nursing student um, in 2002 um, and she, first talked about Annie during a course um, in 2002, long before this was like sexy and cool and people were thinking about it. And she talked about sustainability and healthcare and what we use and what we don't reuse. Um, and I was so inspired by her. And then um, years later, I graduated and, you know, became a practicing nurse and she moved on to do other things outside of a faculty role. We ran into each other 
um, and realized that we were living in the same town and we became walking partners for six years, every morning for six years. She walked me through two babies and a PhD and a postdoc. Um, and we became really, really good friends. And she opened a million networks for me um, and really helped to broaden my thinking about who I am as a nurse and what the impact of my work could be and to see my research in a different way. Um, she's actually, uh, I think Val may have mentioned, we're having Dr. Sattler join us at FGA and, and they were friends. So she's someone that she just, you know, introduced me to back when I was a nursing student. And so um, I think my story is really about the inspiration of individual people who care um, and the value of us as educators and the impact that we can have on the learners that we have the honor of, of be, being of touching. I would say that there's sort of lots of um, parts that sort of brought me to this particular place. As I mentioned earlier, I'm a nurse practitioner and just seeing how individuals and families um, have to just go about their daily life um, and have to navigate their world and how the challenges, access to care um, has, has really made it difficult for them um, to maintain or be in the best health that they can. So I've always been very passionate about trying to help people help themselves and help them find resources and as I was thinking about, you know, the extreme heat in the summer and trying to come up with strategies of how do we keep, you know, your continuous glucose monitor on your arm when it's really hot outside and how do we keep your insulin at the temperature it should be so it it's working and that you're not coming into the hospital with DKA and all kinds of other related um, ailments that really ultimately was caused by heat and not being in a cooler environment. And so that that really made me really just start to think and think differently um, and you know, looking around and just listening to other people, I think really just got me inspired. And then I, one other story that's more personal um, is um, I have two, two sons and my younger son was doing um, <clears throat> genetics homework. And I'm probably the last person who should be helping with genetics homework, but I was trying to ask him, I said, okay, well, you know, what would the outcome be if your partner had these traits? And he said to me, well, mom, it doesn't matter. And I thought he was simply just trying to not answer the question. And then I realized the reason why he said it didn't matter is because he said, I'm not planning on having children. And I said, well, why is that? Now, of course, you know, he's young and I don't want to be a grandmother anytime soon, but <clears throat> I'm a little concerned by that response. Like, why would someone so young say that? And he said, because of climate change, why would I want to bring somebody into the world when we have so many problems? So for me, it turned very personal that I thought, my goodness, like this is far deeper than I ever really imagined the fact that so many young people, um, this wasn't a part of, you know, this was not a part of my daily thinking. And yet here I have a teenager who is thinking this already at such a young age that why would I want to contribute to further um, global climate change by having children and, um, you know, putting someone else in the world and having to navigate a situation that they didn't create. So I, to me, that was a very personal moment for me um, and thinking all about climate change, climate grief, um, eco-anxiety, all of these things um, really became, came front and center. And just thinking about how that really influences how people are responding, um, what level of hope do they have? How can I help them with active hope? And so it all sort of came full circle for me. Um, so lots of different pieces. Um, so that's kind of, that's my story. Thank you both so much for sharing your story. You're such inspirations. I just, I would keep talking and asking questions for hours and hours, um, but 
I think that may be frowned upon. So um, with that said, um, I again, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your work and um, and doing the work. So, but before we do sign off, I want to just make sure we didn't miss anything. So is there anything else that you would like to share with us? Yeah, so I, I do want to add one more thing. So in my role at the school, I have been an administrator for a long time, and I've served on our appointment, promotion, and tenure committee. And I think this is an important thing to say. Um, <clears throat> if we are really, truly intent, and we mean it, that we need to integrate this into our curricula, both in nursing and interprofessionally, I think we really need to think about how we acknowledge and reward the work that faculty do. And having served on these appointment, promotion, and tenure committees for a number of years, it has struck me, you know, there are certain things that tenure track faculty in particular have to do in order to get promoted and get tenure. And much of the work that we've described today, um, pilot work, you know, initiating a new course, these things, unfortunately, really don't count on the list for promotion. And I think that's a travesty because if we really want people to do good work, um, meaningful work, and I'm not saying that publishing in peer-reviewed journals isn't good work, but I think we need to think about things differently. I think we need to, yes, encourage people to do their research and their quality improvement initiatives and publish in peer-reviewed journals, but I think we also have to reach um, the public and it might be just in different venues. I feel like we need to think about that person who's at the grocery store checkout line and the magazine racks. How do we get information to them? How do we engage on social media? How do we reward faculty for engaging in new ways that are meaningful that reach a broader audience? So I think it's important for us to continue to support research as we have always done, but I think we also have to give credit for faculty who are innovative in this way. And I think that the work that faculty are doing really truly, as we said, this has been a coalition of people who are interested and essentially of the willing, but a lot of it has been volunteer and it has been above and beyond. So I just wanna make the point to those who, who may be listening and have an opportunity to maybe change our system foundationally, people will do with, with what they are rewarded. And so the fact that we have so many faculty who are doing things above and beyond for which they get no reward other than personal and professional satisfaction, collegial support, and honestly, they feel good, but we need to think if we really wanna make a, a significant change and shift that other people will join on and create a momentum, we need to change how people are evaluated and, um, and awarded and rewarded. Valerie Sable, thank you so much for adding that to the end of our conversation. And um, just, I wanna hold the light up to, we need to respond to the new needs of, of health and well-being and flourishing on the planet and our systems must shift in order for us to be able to do this work sustainably as nurses, as public health nurses, as educators, and um, just a, a brilliant way to end our conversation today. Um, thank you. Thank you so much to both of you for being here and for being Annie champions and for um, Anne-Marie for being involved in the Environmental Health Research Institute. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. What fun. The course Drs. Walden and Sable described sounds really compelling. The course sounds well-designed, rooted in facts, supported of students, and focused around equity. Nice work. For today's podcast, thank you to Drs. Honga Rogers, Segan, Walton, and Sable, and best wishes for your next exciting endeavors. And thank you all for listening. As a reminder, the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast is 100% non-commercial. Please share it with your nursing colleagues, family, and friends. Thank you. Talk to you next time.